Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877 973 7425. 877 973 7425. Y'all, we need to talk about the Georgia Senate thing. It, it, it took a big twist. I want to wait on that, though. Um, though I, I'm going to make an educated guess on I think I know who the nominee is, uh, largely because of, of President Trump and Doug Collins. Uh, and, and what they've done. And, and I, I love me some Doug Collins, but I, I think his team around him, they've played their hands badly. Before I get to that, though, I, I want to discuss impeachment and, and the closing of all minds. Um, I, I want to play you a very long clip. Uh, this, is, this is four minutes and 40 seconds, uh, 41 seconds, if I'm precise of Will Hurd. Will Hurd is a Republican congressman from South Texas. His district has rapidly become Democratic. He won his reelection by 200 votes. He was in the intelligence community. He does not like President Trump. President Trump does not like him. They have gone after each other on Twitter on multiple occasions. Uh, the president thought that Will Hurd had lost in uh, November and was giddy at the thought of Will Hurd losing. Um, they're, they're not big fans of each other. So if there is a Republican who the Democrats should be able to persuade to move forward with impeachment, it should be someone like Will Hurd. And yet, Will Hurd doesn't support impeachment, and he's coming under attack from Democrats and people who hate the president, uh, including some Republicans who hate the president. He's coming under attack for being a partisan hack. Uh, when this is a guy, he's leaving. He has nothing to lose. And the people who have become so dogmatic in their insistence that that orange man bad must go, uh, they, they're attacking Will Hurd who is a natural ally for them. Ironically, the president's supporters are also attacking Will Hurd. They're attacking Will Hurd because he had the audacity to say the president did something wrong and that the president's foreign policy is misguided. This is a man caught in the middle uh, from two sides who hate his guts right now because he's unwilling to move to their positions because he thinks he's right. And, and I suspect Will Hurd is right on this. And I want to play you what Will Hurd thinks about impeachment right now. We, we need to engage in the Fiona Hill testimony. She was pretty damaging for the president, but not nearly damaging enough. And she and, and David Holmes testified in the impeachment hearings yesterday. It was the last day of public impeachment testimony. They did not scuttle uh, the event. They did not scuttle impeachment. They, they did not cost the president his job with their testimony. You've got members of the media saying, uh, guys, you got to do more than this. But before we get to any of that, I want you to listen to Will Hurd again, Congressman from Texas, Will Hurd. Thank you, Dr. Hill. Mr. Holmes, for your years of service um, to this country, and I appreciate y'all um, being here today. Throughout this process, I have said that I want to learn the facts so we can get to the truth. So why are we here? Because of two things that occurred during the president's July 25th phone call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. The use of the phrase, do us a favor, though, in reference to the 2016 presidential election and the mention of the word Biden. I believe both statements were inappropriate, misguided foreign policy 
and it's certainly not how the executive, current or in the future, should handle such a call. Over the course of these hearings, the American people have learned about a series of events that, in my view, have undermined our national security and undercut Ukraine, a key partner on the front lines against Russian aggression. We've heard of U.S. officials carrying uncoordinated, confusing, and conflicting messages that created doubt and uncertainty in Kyiv at a time when a new reformist administration has just taken office and was ready to fight corruption and work with us to advance other U.S. objectives. I disagree with this sort of bungling foreign policy. But through these hearings, many of my colleagues have unwittingly undermined the Ukrainian government by suggesting that it is subservient to the United States, and without the United States, they wouldn't be able to function. The Ukrainians, as you stated, Mr. Holmes, is in a hot war with Russia, and they are holding their own. We could benefit from the experience of the Ukrainians, not the other way around. While I thought the Intelligence Committee uh, would actually be engaged in oversight of the intelligence and national security communities, unfortunately, we are not. We're here talking about one of the most serious constitutional duties we have as members of Congress, the impeachment and removal of the President of the United States. Over the past weeks, we've learned a few things. The officials on the July 25th call have many different opinions on whether the call was concerning or not. And just because Vice President Biden is running for president does not mean that corruption related to Burisma, Ukraine's largest natural gas company, and Americans' ties to it are not concerning. But there's also a lot we do not know. We have not heard from Rudy Giuliani. We haven't heard from Hunter Biden. I'd like to know more about both of their activities, why they talk to whom and to whom. Despite promises from Chairman Schiff, we have also not heard from the whistleblower. Something that can occur in a closed setting without violating his or her anonymity. We need to understand the motivations and level of coordination that happened prior to his or her submission of the complaint. Over the past few weeks, and even today, it's been reiterated. In 2017, the Trump administration made the decision to provide lethal defensive aid to Ukraine after the Obama administration refused to do so. Ukraine is receiving all the security assistance as directed by Congress. President Zelensky has undertaken significant anti-corruption efforts, including eliminating the parliamentary immunity from prosecution. And, again, Mr. Holmes, you mentioned this today, under President Zelensky's leadership, we have finally seen some progress this fall towards ending the Russian occupation of eastern Ukraine. So where does this leave us? An impeachable offense should be compelling, overwhelmingly clear, and unambiguous, and it's not something to be rushed or taken lightly. I have not heard evidence proving the president committed bribery or extortion. I also reject the notion that holding this view means supporting all the foreign policy choices we have been hearing about over these last few weeks. To paraphrase Tim Morrison's testimony this week, every day the national conversation on Ukraine is focused on impeachment, not the conflict in the Donbass, not the illegal occupation of Crimea, not the need for reforms in Ukraine's government economy. It's a day where we are not focused on our shared national security interests with Kyiv. I hope that we won't let this very partisan process keep us from agreeing on how a free and prosperous Ukraine is important to the security of the Ukrainian people, the United States of America, and the rest of the world. Mr. Chairman, before I yield back my time, I'd like to make a statement for the record that has this committee been given proper notice as required by House Rule 11, Clause 2G3, that a business meeting was to follow last night's hearing, and had Mr. Conaway's point of order been appropriately recognized, 
I would have voted no on the committee's first motion to table during last night's impromptu meeting. And I yield back the balance of my time. I, I can't overstate the importance of what you just heard. And you may not understand everything that he said. You, you may not understand the, the rule at the end. Will Hurd was willing to have this impeachment inquiry. He was willing to move forward. He was willing to to examine what's going on in Ukraine and what the president did and why he thinks the president's foreign policy is bad. He's getting attacked by uh, Trump supporters today for saying he disagrees with what the president did on the phone call and he disagrees with the president's Ukraine policy and he disagrees with the president's Russia policy. He's getting attacked by the left, though, for saying he doesn't think it's impeachable. What the president did on the phone call isn't impeachable. He didn't hear bribery and he didn't hear extortion. He heard Donald Trump as Donald Trump. This is the guy the people voted for. This is the way this guy behaves. This is what everybody knew they were getting before the president became president. The only people convinced right now that the president should be impeached are the people who didn't want the president to get there in the first place. And I've got to think, as a bar for impeachment, that you've got to be able to persuade people to change their minds. Right now, the country is bitterly divided on this. However, Emerson College polling has come out, and Emerson says support for impeachment has gone down. Now, Emerson's not the greatest pollster, but this is pretty consistent with trend lines we've seen from other polls, and they're using the exact same pool of voters uh, that they they surveyed the last time, and the, the support for impeachment has gone down now. A majority of people now oppose impeachment, as opposed to support impeachment. And just a few weeks ago, it was support impeachment. Now, uh, the Sondland testimony, the Holmes testimony, the Hill testimony hasn't hadn't reverberated yet. But it's still a big deal that you got a guy like, like Will Hurd, who doesn't care for the president, who doesn't think that the president needs to be impeached over this phone call and the media trying to hype um, explosive bombshells. Listen to this montage. I I played you the montage uh, over the several year period of the media going after the president for three years now on how uh, bombshell turning point bombshell. Well, we're back to bombshell. This is just from the last week of impeachment coverage. The case for impeachment has never been stronger. The evidence never so riveting after yesterday's explosive testimony. Kicking off what promises to be another explosive week in the impeachment inquiry. And we're bracing for potentially an explosive opening statement. Those are some of the fireworks from today's explosive testimony. Another explosive day of testimony. High stakes heading into a potentially explosive week of testimony. The most explosive thing. This is a slow motion explosion. Major breaking news right now. The explosive, truly explosive opening remarks. I I can't emphasize how explosive This is how explosive, very explosive. And I think it will be explosive. Wow. The first day of public testimony in the impeachment inquiry, opening with a bombshell. We got the bombshell. Yesterday was a bombshell. This has to be one of those bombshell days. A a bombshell. And it was bombshell testimony. Bombshells. One bombshell after another. Bombshell after bombshell. Stunning testimony. The the stunning conversation he heard. It was stunning. It was historic. Like it, it started small and now every Everyone's running, screaming no, like a, like you know, apocalypse now. That was an oh, you know what moment. 
for Republicans. Now, a few hours later from the bombshell being detonated. The fuse was lit then. The bomb went off today, but it wasn't the only bomb that went off. There's been a bombshell. I would say nearly every nearly every witness has yeah. delivered some sort of bombshell. Here's the other bombshell today. Fiona Hill, I mean, that was, I know we keep saying bombshell, but it is Fiona Hill who is the bomb. She's going to drop a bombshell. The bombshell. Bombshell. Following breaking news as another round of explosive impeachment testimony. The most explosive information that we have to date. It was um, so explosive. There was a big bombshell. Obviously, uh, uh, this is a bombshell. This is a bombshell. Bombshell. Bombshell? Bombshell, obviously. What do you think, Paul? It's certainly a bombshell. So we have these things that keep getting called bombshells. It's a very explosive charge. I don't think we can overemphasize. This could be very, very explosive. I mean... That covers it. <laughs> that covers uh, everything. Listen, today was explosive. I know, you know, we say that. <laughs> That's so well done. I, I agree. Uh, Tom Elliott at Grabian put that together. He put the other one together as well. He's so good at putting these together. To, to make a point, uh, the, the media and their adjectives, uh, it, it's, it is absolutely fantastic. Um, uh, y'all, I... I, I, I'm honestly, I'm kind of at a loss here because I understand how mad people are at what the president did, and I, I don't think what the president did was right. I don't think he should have raised the Biden issue on the call with Zelensky, if only because there were people in the White House out to get the president to begin with, and he gave them something with which to undermine him. He's his own worst enemy when it comes to this stuff, and it shouldn't have been done anyway. No president should ask a foreign leader for help collecting dirt on his political opponent, and the president was only concerned about this once Joe Biden became a political opponent. But they got the money, and they didn't do the investigation. And so I, I don't think that this is impeachable. I, I'm Unless they got some of the, if John Bolton comes out and John Bolton delivers, wait for it, bombshells, then maybe so. But, uh, I mean, we, we got to hear some more. Chuck Todd made this point. Uh, this is Chuck Todd on MSNBC yesterday. Look, I think this underscores the challenge Democrats have after today. And it's this. It's clear all of this testimony has built this very damning case. At the same time, there's more breadcrumb, breadcrumb trails to follow, and there's more investigating to do. And I think it is, they're going to probably, I think they have enough information. Do you bring Volcker back? Do you bring Sondland back? Well, that goes to the question I was trying to ask things. you before we started, which is and the calendar calendar versus I, the political calendar. And I'll just say this. I think Democrats got to be careful here. If they short-circuit this, right, you know, they look, if this were a courtroom trial, they, they have the evidence, they're done, they could rest their case, go to jury, fine. They've got to win a political argument. They can win the technical, but they've got to win a political argument. And while plenty of people may be skeptical that more witnesses, even if they're named John Bolton, isn't going to penetrate anything, okay, but do you need to get caught trying? Do they need to keep going down this road? I mean, I, I, I think that they, the Democrats, have to think long and hard about sh about an appearance that they're sort of short-circuiting this, yeah, that they're cutting off uh, leads when they should continue to go o only because they want to avoid the presidential race. Yeah, Chuck, I, you're, I, I you're, they got to be careful. 
Yeah, listen to what Chuck Todd is, is saying. The the Democrats, they got to do more because while they may have found impeachable evidence, they haven't made the political case. So you need to keep this going. And, and listen, I, I think here's what he's really getting at. Um, you need Mick Mulvaney and you need John Bolton under oath. If you can't get John Bolton and Mick Mulvaney under oath, you can't get to impeachment. The Republicans in the Senate are going to say, wait a second, you left off key witnesses. Uh, the Democrats aren't even making a fight to get them right right now. Uh, Bolton is having a judge decide whether or not he should testify. It's very clearly this is an impeachment process. He should be required to testify. He just wants the judge to sign off on it so the White House can't come after him. But if you can't get John Bolton to testify... The man who quit over this, it now appears this is a major reason John Bolton quit this and the serious situation both. You can't get to impeachment. Not only that, if you have to wait to get to them, what's going? you're going to drag this out even further and totally undermine the Democrats running for president. The Democrats have handled this badly. Hello there. The phone number, if you want to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425. I want to, well, you know, Fiona Hill, she's not a deep state agent. She was picked to help the president by Katie McFarlane and Mike Flynn. Um, do you really think those two are going to hire someone from the deep state uh, to help undermine the president? She's certainly concerned about things. She said plenty to defend the president as well. Um, but this is one of the funny things she said that the media is willfully ignoring. I want to play this clip for you. And then I want you to ask yourself a question. Why isn't the media saying anything about this statement from Fiona Hill? So the, um, uh, RT, uh, Putin's, uh, would you agree with me that RT is uh, uh, Putin's propaganda machine here in the United States? I would agree with you, yes. So is it uh, appropriate for the RT to be used to um, affect public policy on our nation? Uh, as an example, uh, there have been a long series of uh, advertisements or programs on RT uh, going against fracking uh, that are saying that's bad and trying to affect public policy in the United States. Uh, is that appropriate use? Or is that, should, be, should Americans be paying attention to that? Uh, in the sense that um, Americans should be paying attention that RT and other outlets are used uh, to propagate this kind of information, absolutely. I wasn't quite sure what you meant about should just be paying the, the attention. Fracking is a controversial issue within our nation. Uh, if we did away with fracking, the United States would not be in a position today to dominate the oil production within the world and would play into strengthening Putin's hands with respect to That's the That's correct. And actually, I'd like to point out that in 2011, in November 2011, I actually sat next to Vladimir Putin at a conference in which he made precisely that point. It was the first time listen, that he listen. had actually done so uh, to a group of American journalists and experts who were brought to something called the Valdai Discussion Club. So he started in 2011 making it very clear that he saw American fracking as a great threat to Russian interests. We were all struck by how much he stressed this issue. And it's since 2011 and since that particular juncture that Putin has made a big deal of this. Yeah, so RT is Russia Today. Note, note to local stations around the country broadcasting this program. She said fracking. She said it in a British accent, but I assure you it was fracking that she said. <laughs> Got to be careful. Some people will complain that she said something else. 
RT is Russia Today. It is a Russian propaganda outlet. I know people who go on Russia Today as American commentators. It is a a um, it is a Vladimir Putin propaganda outlet run out of the Kremlin. Uh, it it has American hosts. It, it has hired a number of people within the Trump movement to be commentators and hosts on RT Russia Today. It is a total propaganda outfit, and you can find it on a local satellite state uh, your your cable company and whatnot. They run this channel and it's got a big web presence as well and vladimir putin is opposed to fracking in the united states i wonder where the environmentalists are getting their anti-fracking money huh hmm we should explore this Hello there. Yes, you can call in if you would like to be part of the program, 877-973-7425. Also, uh, more important for most of you, uh, text the word recipe to 33777. The gravy recipe went out yesterday, uh, and I, you know, one of the other recipes I always send out this time of year is my gumbo recipe. I am a native of Louisiana. I have been in Georgia since, gosh, 93, uh, came to Mercer, and met my wife and stayed, never went went back to Louisiana, uh, despite Bobby Jindal trying very hard to get me to come home. Um, but I make gumbo. I actually make very, very good gumbo. And it is my annual ritual to turn the Thanksgiving leftovers into gumbo, the turkey in particular, turn it into turkey gumbo because uh, everybody gets tired of turkey sandwiches. So you repurpose the turkey to turkey gumbo and you have something brand new. And I will send that recipe out on Monday along with a video I have made because the, the hardest part of making gumbo is making the roux. And so I've simplified the process for you, for those of you who've never made it, to make it easy for you to do. And we'll send you that recipe on Monday. Um, I, make th- <laughs> I make three beer gumbo. What is three beer gumbo? Well, and sometimes it's four beer gumbo, depending on how fast I'm drinking. But by the time you drink three or four beers, your roux should be dark enough. Uh, <laughs> and if not, uh, you're not going to care. Um, so I will send it out. Text recipe to three, three, seven, seven, seven. Uh, you can call the program eight, seven, seven, nine, seven, three, seven, four, two, five. I want to play some more from Viona Hill's testimony. Uh, but I, I do, I, I can't help but replay this audio because we should, we should meditate on this in another clip here for just a moment. Again, this is Fiona Hill testifying, uh, about RT. RT is Russia today. Russia Today is a news outlet in the United States that is actually a propaganda outfit run by the Kremlin. Uh, and I know people who work there, and it is absolutely a propaganda outfit, and they knew eyes wide open going into it that they were going to be working for a Kremlin propaganda outfit, uh, and they wanted the money. They're they're highly well-paid people, and, and they're friends of mine, even if they're basically Vladimir Putin's got his hand up their butt moving their mouth. Uh, <laughs> they know I feel that way. I'm not saying anything out of turn, but you're going to hear uh, Fiona Hill engaging on Russia today on the issue of fracking. And then there's another clip we need to play. So the um, uh, RT, uh, Putin's, uh, would you agree with me that RT is uh, Putin's propaganda machine here in the United States? I would agree with you, yes. So is it uh, appropriate for the RT to be used to um, affect public policy on our nation? Uh, as an example, uh, there have been a long series of uh, advertisements or programs on RT uh, going against fracking uh, that are saying that's bad and trying to affect public policy in the United States. Uh, is that appropriate use? or is that, should, be, should Americans be paying attention to that? 
uh, in the sense that um, Americans should be paying attention that RT and other outlets are used uh, to propagate this kind of information, absolutely. I wasn't quite sure what you meant about should just be paying the, attention. The fracking is a controversial issue within our nation. Uh, if we did away with fracking, the United States would not be in a position today to dominate the oil production within the world and would play into strengthening Putin's hands with respect to That's the That's correct. And actually, I'd like to point out that in 2011, in November 2011, I actually sat next to Vladimir Putin at a conference in which he made precisely that point. It was the first time that he had actually done so uh, to a group of American journalists and experts who were brought to something called the Valdai Discussion Club. So he started in 2011 making it very clear that he saw American fracking as a great threat to Russian interests. We were all struck by how much he stressed this issue. And it's since 2011 and since that particular juncture that Putin has made a big deal of this. Again, she's saying fracking. She's saying fracking. (laughs) So you have Vladimir Putin opposes fracking in the United States because it goes against their national interest. Why? Because the United States is extracting so much natural gas. You got to remember that much of Europe is hostage to Russian natural gas. Russia has so much natural gas uh, that they sell it to European countries. Uh, There are pipelines all over Europe tied into the Russian natural gas. This is one reason Russia has had so much power over Ukraine for so long, is that they wouldn't develop natural gas resources inside Ukraine uh, and made Ukraine dependent on Russian natural gas. Well, the United States now is fracking so much that they've developed ship technology they can transport across the ocean Uh, The natural gas, uh, liquid natural gas from the United States to these foreign countries so that they decrease their dependency on Russia. So the more the United States engages in fracking, the more it undermines countries' dependence on Russia. There's one more point here you need to listen to. This again, Fiona Hill. But why are the Russians pushing that narrative that it was Ukraine? How does that serve Russian interests? The Russians' interests, uh, frankly, are to delegitimize our entire presidency. They want to delegitimize the entire presidency. The, this president or a different president. You know, though, I, I got to say, um, again, this is all part of a coordinated act by Russia, and the Russians are winning. We're at each other's throat in this country over 2016. There are Democrats who still institutionally, fundamentally believe that uh, Russia stole the election for Donald Trump, despite there being no evidence uh, that the Russians were successful. The fact that people are at each other's throat makes Russia successful. Uh, Fiona Hill, though, however, she absolutely is opposed to this nonsense about Ukraine. By the way, you, you know CrowdStrike. Uh, the president was on Fox News this morning. In fact, let me see. I bet the interview has been archived by now. Let me get in here real quick uh, and see this on the fly. Your host, able to do this on the fly. Trust me, I am a professional. It drives everybody crazy when I do this, but I can get into the archive. The president called into Fox News this morning, and, well, he had so, some interesting takes and he is very, very, very uh, keen on going after the crowd strike stuff. Uh, here's the president on Fox and Friends earlier. Wiretapping, maybe. And uh, all hell broke loose. Well, how so, high did it know, go, Mr. President? How high did it go? Your well, opinion. I think personally, I think it goes all the way, okay? Because I think it's impossible. To Barack Obama. Brennan and for Clapper and for all of these losers that you had over there. I think it's impossible for them to be doing things. And let's see what it all says. But right. it's impossible. Susan Rice 
Uh, the person that worked at the United Nations who went after Pfizer reports and went after reports like uh, she ate them for lunch. And, you know, you look at the previous administration, they, they went after like a few, and she was getting them by, at levels that nobody's ever even imagined before, and it had nothing to do with her. No, I think this goes to the highest level. I hate to say it. I think it's a disgrace. Uh, they thought I was going to win, and they said, how could we stop them? They wrote up the phony fake dossier, the disgusting fake dossier, and they tried to have it put out prior to the election. And just to show you how incompetent they were, they spent millions and millions of dollars. Hillary Clinton paid for it, and the Democrats. Uh, a lot of it had to do, they say, with Ukraine. But, but Mr. You know, it's very interesting. It's very interesting. They have the server, right, from the DNC, Democratic National Committee. Who has the server? Now, the FBI went in and they told him, get out of here. You're not kidding. We're not giving it to you. They gave the server to CrowdStrike or whatever it's called, which is a country, which is a company owned by a very wealthy Ukrainian. And I still want to see that server. You know, the FBI has never gotten that server. That's a big part of this whole thing. Why did they give it to a Ukrainian company? Why? Are you sure they did that? Are you sure they gave it to Ukraine? Well, that's what the word is. And that's what I asked actually in my phone call. If you Okay. Y'all, here's the problem. This president is in an impeachment trial because Rudy Giuliani told him this. Do you know how this server process worked with CrowdStrike? By the way, here's something I learned from my buddy Steve Hayes this morning. CrowdStrike also handles the Republican National Committee's server security. Let me say that again. Let, let me say it again. CrowdStrike handles the Republican National Committee's servers. I'm not making that up, and neither is Steve Hayes. And you know how it works. There's not a server in Ukraine. This is how we can trace the, the president buying into this nonsense from Rudy Giuliani. The way these server systems work, if you're in IT, you, you understand this, information technology, you understand this. Um, there are servers spread out around the world for critical industry and, and information technology. And when you go to your computer, let, let's take the cloud. Let, let's use, if you have an iPhone, uh, a lot of people have iPhones. You're familiar with iPhones, if, if, if not, but you save information to the cloud. Apple has server farms around the country. There's one very near North Georgia. It's, a, it's up in North Carolina, near Georgia. Uh, there's another one in California. I believe there's one in Texas. There is one in Hawaii. Uh, they've got uh, one in Ireland. They built a big one in Ireland. They've got one in Germany. Um, they've got one in China, but only people in China have access to that one. And when you save your stuff in the cloud, that stuff is saved... In one of these server forms, and it's not on a particular hard drive. See, we're used to thinking, and I'm sure the president used to thinking of a floppy disk, if you're of the president's age, or for the rest of us, a solid state drive or a hard drive of some kind. Uh, and it is a physical device, and we think all of our information, every single byte, is saved on this one physical drive. And, and that's not actually what, how it happens. You may have a, 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 a megabyte is saved in North Carolina, a megabyte is saved in California, 30 megabytes are saved in Ireland, a, another couple megabytes in Munich. And it's spread all over the world. 
is not a single single server with a single hard drive. That's that's not the way it works. Now, ideally, what happens for efficiency's sake is your data is sir, is saved on on a computer in North Carolina, but there may be five different hard drives where it's saved on, so that if one hard drive goes down, uh, it doesn't all go down. But typically, it can be spread around the world. And if you're traveling, when you're in California, the data gets saved closer to the servers in California because the the data will move faster, even if by microseconds. And on and on it goes. And. The president seems to think there was a one physical hard drive in Ukraine that CrowdStrike got access to and rigged the game. And that's not the way it actually works. But that's what he heard from Rudy Giuliani, who heard it from various geriatric pundits on Fox News who don't understand the way the servers work. Now, Fiona Hill was asked about this Ukraine meddling stuff, and I want to play what she had to say. Based on questions and statements I've heard, some of you on this committee appear to believe that Russia and its security services did not conduct a campaign against our country, and that perhaps, somehow, for some reason, Ukraine did. This is a fictional narrative that has been perpetrated and propagated by the Russian security services themselves. The unfortunate truth is that Russia was the foreign power that systematically attacked our democratic institutions in 2016. This is the public conclusion of our intelligence agencies confirmed in bipartisan congressional reports. It is beyond dispute, even if some of the underlying details must remain classified. The impact of the successful 2016 Russian campaign remains evident today. Our nation is being torn apart. Truth is questioned. Our highly professional and expert career foreign service is being undermined. Yes, and now this. Right now, Russia's security services and their proxies have geared up to repeat their interference in the 2020 election. We are running out of time to stop them. In the course of this investigation, I would ask that you please not promote politically driven falsehoods that so clearly advance Russian interests. As Republicans and Democrats have agreed for decades, Ukraine is a valued partner of the United States, and it plays an important role in our national security. And as I told the committee last month, I refuse to be part of an effort to legitimize an alternate narrative that the Ukrainian government is a U.S. adversary and that Ukraine, not Russia, attacked us in 2016. These fictions are harmful, even if they're deployed for purely domestic political purposes. President Putin and the Russian security services operate like a super PAC. They deploy millions of dollars to weaponize our own political opposition research and false narratives. When we are consumed by partisan rancor, we cannot combat these external forces as they, as they seek to divide us against each other, degrade our institutions and destroy the faith of the American people in our democracy. And that's exactly what the Russians are doing. She's absolutely right here. And and no one should dispute what she has done. And I think the reality is that the president bought some of the fake news as truth when it came to crowd. And, and some of you right now, I can I can hear you yelling at your radio. I, I listen, I think the crowd strike story doesn't pan out when you get into it. And, and the, the proof is in the fact that the Republican National Committee uses crowd strike, too. But I also think that means the president shouldn't be impeached. He, he certainly believed stuff from his advisors, and he was surrounded with advisors who advised him because he didn't trust the people who should have been advising him. And that's a problem, too. 
And those people were also poisoned by the Russians and, and absolutely convinced that the president is a Russian plan and working for Vladimir Putin. We hear that on a near daily basis from Democrats. And that's why I think he shouldn't be impeached. Uh, one more clip from Fiona Hill. I take great pride in the fact that I'm a non-partisan foreign policy expert who has served under three Republican and Democratic presidents. I have no interest in advancing the outcome of your inquiry in any particular direction except toward the truth. I will not provide a long narrative statement because I believe that the interest of Congress and the American people is best served by allowing you to ask me your questions. And I'm happy to expand upon my October 14th deposition testimony in response to your questions today. Um, I, I, um... I could listen to Fiona Hill read the phone book. Nonpartisan. I, 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 I could listen to this woman read the phone book. She could read recipes all day. She should be the voice of... Can I get Fiona Hill as series voice? Listen, I think she was the most credible witness we've had so far, perhaps the most damaging to the president, uh, and I think that the Democrats need to recognize that they they didn't get there. You know, Peggy Noonan, who I adore, Peggy Noonan's out today and said the case is proven on impeachment. What's the Senate going to do? But there's a political argument here, and it is a political argument that they have failed to make, and it is a political argument that they continue to fail to make, which is why you got Chuck Todd out there saying, hey, we need more. Uh, and if they're not going to get more, where are they going to go? We haven't even heard from John Bolton. John Bolton could completely scuttle this president, but I suspect that John Bolton would be scuttling the Democrats, and that's why they're not fighting to call him. The phone number here, 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. Oh, when we come back. You're, you're going to need to stick around because uh, uh, we need to have a talk about Georgia. I'm about 99% sure I know who the nominee is going to be, who the appointment is going to be for the Senate. Uh, and we'll get there right now. Though I, I just, I got to, man, you know, the thing that annoys me about Pete Buttigieg, who comes across as a very nice guy, but he likes to use, weaponize religion and throw it in people's faces um, and doesn't want to be held accountable for when when Scripture condemns him. He's he's gay and married, uh, and Scripture, of course, you know what Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, what the Bible itself says about homosexuality and marriages between a man and a woman. Well, uh, he gave an interview with Rolling Stones, and, and he says, this is a quote from him, uh, there's simply no way that a literal understanding of Scripture can fit into the Bible that I find in my hands. Jesus speaks so often in hyperbole and parable in mysterious code. Um, Y'all, you know, the apostles asked Jesus why he speaks in parables. Matthew 13, 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not hear, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive, for this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes or hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. We have 2,000 years of Orthodox, consistent Christian understanding across denominations, Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant, 
And along comes Pete Buttigieg, and he decides none of it makes any sense. It can't be real because he doesn't understand it. Uh, because Jesus speaks in parable. He has ears to hear and does not hear. He has eyes to see and does not see. And this is pretty pervasive among uh, progressive theology that wants to bring a heaven to earth despite the fact we're all sinners and we can't. And Pete Buttigieg wants to do this because he wants to justify, he's actually in this interview, he justifies um, abortion uh, scripturally. He says that that uh, Christians can support killing kids because the Bible talks about the indwelling of life with breath and until a child completely exits the womb, it can't breathe. Never mind that God's talking about the Holy Spirit, you idiot. So much for my Christian charity this morning. Uh, seeing people pervert the words of God. But, you know, the Bible talks about this as well, that that in the, the last days, people will want their ears scratched, they'll have itching ears, and they will turn to those who twist Scripture to scratch the itching ears. And this is what we see with so many progressives who, and there's this, this crazy movement uh, among progressive Christians, uh, the 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 red letter Bible people, they only want to read the. I don't know if you know this or not, but when Jesus spoke, he didn't speak in red letters. And when Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were writing the Gospels, they didn't actually write in red letters. They didn't have red ink to write Jesus's words. In fact, there's a there's a large body of evidence that John three sixteen for God so loved the world that that he gave his only begotten Son. That Jesus didn't actually say that, even though those are red letters in the Bible. That that's John editorializing. And by the way, Jesus, if he did speak in the red letters, he said to listen to his apostles, and they all completely want to ignore Paul, who's one of God's apostles. Um, it's so hypocritical on the left, and it bugs me that the media wants to give this guy a uh, platform to say this sort of drivel. Absolutely frustrating. It is that time for me to tell you all how awesome the Quip electric toothbrush is. Don't don't fast forward through this. Stick around. Listen, uh, because it's the truth. I use my Quip every day. My daughter uses hers. My wife uses hers. We got to get our ten year old on a regular brushing schedule. I'm, he's that's another story for another day. Quip is a great toothbrush, folks. Uh, you can go out as I have and buy the hundred dollar Sonic toothbrushes uh, that supposedly do some sort of brilliant job. They don't fit in the back of my mouth. I don't think they fit in the back of anybody's mouth. They're so poorly designed, and you got to char- take the charger with you wherever you go. It's it, they're terrible in design. The Quip was designed, you can tell, by Denison designers working together. It fits in the back of your mouth, so you can get a good brushing at the back of your teeth. Uh, it, it vibrates uh, great for two minutes. Get your teeth really clean every 30 seconds. It pulses, you can, so you know it's time to move it in your mouth to a different location, so you get an even cleaning. It is great, and every three months, they send you a new brush head uh, on a subscription service. It is great. Um, everything is designed. Great with Quip. It works on a single AAA battery. You don't have to carry a charger with you. I just, I, I really do love this product. I've been using my Quip for two years. Well before I ever advertised for them on radio, I was using Quip because I like them. Uh, it generates great, healthy toothbrushing habits. My dentist keeps thinking I'm bleaching my teeth. I'm not. Just on and on, I could brag about it, but see it for yourself. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now. You'll get your first refill pack free. That's your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Getquip.com slash Erickson. 
Start brushing your teeth with healthy habits with Quip. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number is 877-973-7425 if you want to be a part of the program. At the bottom of the hour, Trent England's going to join me. Uh, he's the Executive Vice President for the Oklahoma Council on Public Policy, and the reason he's coming is because he is really um, has stepped up and leading the fight against the national popular vote measure Stacey Abrams is pushing. You know, she came out the other day calling uh, the Electoral College racist, uh, and I wanted to talk to Trent about that, so he's going to be with me at the bottom of the hour. But we need to talk about Georgia. Uh, as as all the stations come online now, uh, we need to talk about Georgia because I think I know who the Senate pick is going to be. I And I, I need to start with I have no insider knowledge. I have not talked to the governor's team. I don't want to talk to the governor's team, but given the buzz, I, I, I listen, I know how to make educated guesses. And I know when people from Washington are all pinging me, asking me about particular people, I'm I'm 99.9% sure I know who the, the Senate pick is going to be. And Doug Collins is largely to be credited with this happening, and we need to discuss that. No, it's it's not going to be Doug Collins, in large part because of Doug Collins. Uh, this is it's going to be Kelly Loeffler. Uh, Kelly Loeffler is the co-owner of the WNBA team in Atlanta. She was the um, head of investor relations for the company that bought the New York Stock Exchange. She now runs a company called. Uh, backer. She is a self-funder, self-made woman. The Republicans tried to recruit her in 2014. Uh, She was not interested at the time because her company just bought the New York Stock Exchange. She didn't think it was the right time. She's been interested in politics for a while. She's a six-figure donor to President Trump's campaign. She's a mega donor to Mitt Romney in 2012. She supports a lot of Republican causes. She's pro-life. She's conservative. She supports the president. Uh, I think she's going to be the pick. Again, I do not have insider knowledge on this, but let me tell you why she's going to be the pick. In the last 24 hours, a series of news reports have come out that President Trump's team has begun pressuring Brian Kemp to pick Doug Collins. Now, I am told uh, one report says that the uh, president himself reached out to Brian Kemp. I am told that's not true uh, by people who are familiar from the White House side that the president himself did not call Brian Kemp. Uh, but others within the White House apparently have. Uh, I'm told Jared Kushner is deeply involved in trying to get Doug Collins the nomination, which is why uh, this has been bungled so badly, I suspect. Here's what happened. Uh, the president's team began pushing for Doug Collins, and then someone stuck a microphone in Doug Collins's face, and um, Doug Collins apparently said that he may run anyway. If he's not the pick, he may run. That all but ensures he's not going to be the pick. Uh, There are a couple of things we need to review history on. In 2018, the president got a lot of credit for Brian Kemp becoming the Republican nominee in Georgia, but that actually misstates what had happened. Brian Kemp, if you look at the data, the, the president only endorsed the he endorsed the evening that Thursday evening of early voting uh, at the end of October 2018. I know it happened in the early evening because I was on my Atlanta show when the news broke 
and I thought it was uh, fake at first, and then uh, n- it turned out it wasn't. I started getting text messages from the Kemp team saying this had happened, uh, and uh, then I got invited to MC his event in Macon when the vice president came down to make it official that Monday before the uh, runoff. Um, they did it in Macon. But early voting had already concluded. Um, early voting from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. at the local board of elections. And, and the only day of early voting left was that Friday. And Kemp had won early voting before Friday, significantly so. And the internal polling for both campaigns, the Cagle camp and the Kemp camp, had him surging uh, headed into early voting. And it was very clear he was going to win on election day. The president made the difference at the margins. Uh, Kemp, maybe he would have won 53, 54%. Instead, he blew it out winning basically every county in the state. Um, He wouldn't have won every county in the state, uh, but for the president's endorsement, but he still would have won. But this got repackaged by the national media as Kemp would not have won but for President Trump's endorsement. Now, what happened in the general? Well, the Cagle camp had really roughed up uh, Kemp in the suburbs, and then the Abram camp made defined him as the president's boy. Uh, Brian Kemp was not his own man, and he had no, none of his own ideas. He was uh, toady for Donald Trump. He was Donald Trump's candidate. He was going to do whatever Donald Trump wanted. And if you didn't like Donald Trump, you shouldn't like Brian Kemp because he was going to implement the Trump agenda in Georgia, not the Brian Kemp agenda. And that hurt Brian Kemp in the suburbs. It absolutely hurt Brian Kemp. It hurt him with black voters. It hurt him with white women. It hurt him with uh, men with college degrees in in the suburbs. It hurt Brian Kemp. And Brian Kemp won, and it was the closest election uh, we've had since the Republicans took the state. And Brian Kemp got into office, and he showed everyone he's his own man. He spent the last year working his butt off to show people he's his own man and he keeps his promises. And you may not like things Brian Kemp has done. Democrats hate the fetal heartbeat legislation. But the Atlanta Journal-Constitution poll that came out last week has Brian Kemp at a 54% approval rating. And that's notable because the AJC uh, polling sample was really, really bad. Uh, the AJC polling sample had Kemp at um, at 54% and oversampled people with college graduate degrees, young people, and Democrats. It wasn't a good sample, and I've heard from enough pollsters, and they all agree, and you'll notice the lack of national buzz on the AJC polling. And the reason it gets no national buzz is because uh, pollsters at news organizations looked at it and said, well, this is a garbage uh, sample. And even with a garbage sample that was biased against Kemp by going oversampling the people who hate Kemp, Kemp was at 54% approval. He was at majority approval with women. He was at more majority approval with men. If you adjusted the sample size, which you would get as a Brian Kemp majority uh, approval rating of around 60%. And in fact, I'm aware of a number of private polls that have been conducted by different Republican outfits on Kemp right now in Georgia, and he is at about 60% approval. And he's at 60% approval because Brian Kemp is his own man. And people know he keeps his promises and he's willing to deviate from Republican orthodoxy. He's willing to deviate from what the president wants. He's willing to do what he thinks is in the best interests of Georgia, not what's in the best interests of Donald Trump. And that matters in the suburbs. It matters with women who don't like Donald Trump. 
It matters with voters, including Trump voters in Georgia who adore Brian Kemp because he is his own man and he has picked fights with Democrats and he's won, including fetal heartbeat. He earned a lot of goodwill from a lot of people over the fetal heartbeat legislation. So here comes the president's team and they leak a story that uh, Brian Kemp needs to repay the president's endorsement by putting Doug Collins in the Senate. Here come Doug Collins's friends, uh, including Matt Gatz and Jim Jordan and others, saying that Doug Collins needs to be in the Senate. And here comes Doug Collins saying if he's not in the Senate, he may go ahead and run for the Senate. Brian Kemp has just been a year showing everyone he's his own man. He's not going to now make it look like he, he can be bullied by the president or Doug Collins or Jim Jordan or Matt Gatz or anyone else. He can't afford that. He spent a year showing everyone that he's not a Trump toady. And now the president comes and says, hey, you owe me one. Put Doug Collins in the Senate. And Brian Kemp's going to say, no, I'm going to pick who I think is the best person. You can't tell me what to do. I'm the governor of the state. Thank you very much for your endorsement. I'm happy to campaign for you in Georgia and find someone who supports you in the Senate. But you can't tell me the precise person who I'm my own man and I'm doing what I think is in the best interest for Georgia. So he can't pick Doug Collins now, even if he wanted to. And I am told that the last conversation I had is Doug Collins. There were three or four people that the governor was seriously looking at, and Doug Collins was one of them. And this behavior this week has stricken Doug Collins from the list. The behavior comes after Kelly Loeffler's name was added late Monday. She submitted her resume late Monday. Kelly Loeffler, the co-owner of the WNBA team, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, she's a Kemp donor. She's a Trump donor. It is not a coincidence that the agitation for Doug Collins came after that. And I think that now makes her the pick. I think Kelly Loeffler is going to be the United States Senator. The reason I think she's going to be the United States Senator, one, it's kind of a tip-off. She waited till the very last minute to put her name in. And suddenly the nominations are closed. Yeah, that suggests there's a level of favoritism and some conversations happening behind the scenes. But there's more than that. Doug Collins said he's going to run no matter what. The only way to stop him from running is to make it super painful for him to run. And the only way to make it super painful for him to run is to put him up against a conservative woman who gave Donald Trump money. The president needs female voters. Here's a female voter who supported the president and gave him hundreds of thousands of dollars. That takes the president off the playing field. So he can't come out and, and endorse Doug Collins. Then you have the suburbs. Doug Collins gets you the Republican base, but what else does Doug Collins get you without working hard for it? Nothing. And that's not disrespectful of Doug. I, I think the world, Doug would be an awesome senator. But when you add Doug Collins to the column, what do you what does he immediately bring? He brings the base. If you add Kelly Loeffler to the column, what does she bring? Kelly Loeffler brings the base and possibly some extra women, which would be great for the president and for Brian Kemp. Uh, you put Jason Inovatarte in. Jason is actually my pick. I think Jason would be great. Uh, who does he bring? He brings Hispanic voters, but he's a guy. And the, he's he was a Rubio supporter in the Republican primary. So Collins could say, look, uh, no offense, Gov, but you pick someone who's squishy. And I'm going to be a better conservative than him, so I'm going to come after him. And it doesn't look as bad because it's a dude. 
that leaves Kelly Loeffler the only one who can negate the Doug Collins positions. Leaves Kelly Loeffler as the only one who can't be attacked for having supported someone else in the primary. She was a Trump person. I think Kelly Loeffler is going to be the Senate candidate. I think she's going to be the Senate pick. Um, she also self-funds. Doug Collins can't self-fund. Jason and Avdarte can't self-fund. There, there really aren't any self-funders on the list other than her. So she immediately starts with a fundraising advantage. She's a self-made woman. The Democrats are going to have a hard time attacking a self-made woman. They'll attack her for being a Trump supporter, and she'll make the case that the president's good for everyone's 401k and good for business. Now, the problem that Loeffler is going to have is she's going to be immediately glummed onto by a bunch of Washington consultants, and they're just going to going to sink her campaign if, if they're not careful. Hopefully, uh, she will use Governor Kemp's team if she's the nominee. But, y'all, I, I'm, I'm pretty much 100% confident saying it's got to be Kelly Loeffler. She put in her name at the last minute, and then the governor immediately closed the door to new nominations. The Trump and Collins teams immediately after that happened noticed, the AJC noticed, the AJC made a big deal about it. They knew who she was. That suggests some advance notice this was coming. Uh, the Collins-Trump team swung into action to try to pressure the governor. And now the best way for the governor to stand up and say no is to go with Kelly Loeffler, a woman who supports Donald Trump keeps the president on the sidelines. And by the way, it actually helps the governor to have these people coming after the governor. It helps the governor to have Doug Collins saying, I'm going to run. It helps the governor to say uh, the, the president wants him to do this. It helps the governor to have people demand that he do it. Because again, with a bunch of suburban voters who were told by Stacey Abrams that he would be a Trump toady, he gets to say, hey, I'm my own man doing my own thing and there's nothing any of you can do about it. I, that makes perfect sense to me. This is a win all around for Governor Kemp now. But I would really like to see Doug Collins have higher office. I think Doug Collins is a tremendously good guy. I think Doug Collins is a competent politician. I think Doug Collins is a good conservative. I think he would be a competent executive or senator. I would like to see him do that. And I think this hurts him. I think this was badly played by his friends. I think he got bad advice on how he's handled this. Because I, I'm already hearing from some of the outside groups saying, my God, Doug Collins is going to make us have to spend money to hold the seat that we shouldn't have to spend. And they're going to be mad at him. They're going to hold a grudge. So I hope he walks back the idea of an independent challenge if it's not him. I don't think it makes him look good. I don't think the, the president's team has done him any favors by pushing so aggressively for him. And, and I'm told by people in the White House that this is a Jared Kushner thing, and, and Kushner is not exactly a great uh, tactician or, or strategist. And I think he's hurt a friend when he shouldn't. But I think that that means that we're going to have the second woman in Georgia history to be in the U.S. Senate, and her name will be Kelly Loeffler, and she'll be able to self-fund her way there. And she and David Perdue will be a fantastic combination, uh, two business executives, male and female. You know, interestingly enough, she I, I think I mentioned she was going to run in 2014. I, I've confirmed the National Republican Senatorial Committee tried to recruit her, but because the New York Stock Exchange purchased by her company, she didn't want to run, and they went to a guy named David Perdue and got him into the race. It'd be very interesting to see her there with him, and I think that's what we're going to see. Again, no insider knowledge here, but I know how this game works. I've been around the block. Got a text message during the break from someone listening. I can't tell you who. They said, yup. That, regarding my last, um, 
monologue. Uh, yep. So yeah, I'm I'm gonna go with yes. Um, that I'm right. Uh, that Kelly Loeffler is going to be the pick. You heard it here first. You heard it here first. And we can move on from there now. Um, Stacey Abrams. We need to discuss Stacey Abrams, don't we? I mean. I played you the audio the other day. Do I still have it pulled? I don't still have it. Yeah, I do have it pulled up. Uh, this is the Stacey Abrams audio we need to ponder. Is the time for the electrical the electoral college pass? Yes. Electoral college is racist and classist. We have to remember the electoral college was not designed because people were worried about Idaho not having enough votes. We didn't know about Idaho. What we did know, we didn't. But what we did know was that in the South, the populations in the South had equal or roughly equal populations to the North. However, because black people were not considered human or citizens, they wanted their bodies to count for the purposes of the population count, but not their humanity. And the Electoral College was designed to give Southern states the ability to count the bodies of slaves, but not have to allow them to cast votes. And thus the Electoral College was born as a compromise. The other challenge was that in the North, a lot of them didn't want immigrants making decisions, and they didn't believe that immigrants and that those who were not considered well-educated should be making decisions about who the executive of our nation should be. So it was a combination of racism and classism. Both of those things should be flung to the far reaches of history, and the Electoral College needs to go. Uh, yeah. How do we handle this other than to say it's it's not true? And, and let, let me tell you, I think Stacey Abrams believes what she's saying. I don't think she's just trying to nurse grievance here. I think she really does believe it. But here's the problem. It's simply not true. The Electoral College was not racist. It was not designed for racism. Um, in fact, it was one of a series of compromises in the Constitution insisted on by northern states to minimize uh, the cloud of slave states. Uh, remember, Jefferson was saying before the Constitution was affirmed that we would have to deal with this issue, and he was actually, and even though he was a slave owner, Jefferson was very clear that slavery as an institution was going to have to go away. Uh, they just thought that we got to put this off. It, it's not a it's not a big deal at the moment for us to deal with. We got to deal with the British before we deal with this. Then they never got around to dealing with it, other than they put in things in the Constitution like uh, the prohibition on the importation of slaves after 1800. The Great Compromise, uh, one of the Great Compromises, uh, was to reduce the the slave count to five what um, five eighths of a person. Um, there are three fifths, three fifths, the three fifths compromise, um, that you counted a slave, not as a person, but as three fifths of a person. Now, why did you do that? Because the Southern states wanted slaves counted as a person for, in terms of congressional representation and the Northern non-slave states said, no, we're not going to let you do that with slaves. That gives you more power than you should have. And you don't treat the slaves like voters anyway. They can't vote, so no. So they did the three-fifths compromise. The Electoral College was completely separate from that. The Great Compromise was having a bicameral legislature between a House and a Senate, the Senate representing states, the, the House representing the people. And then the Electoral College was a compromise because they didn't trust direct democracy and they did not want the uh, holders of slaves to directly cast their vote for president. The northern states, Ver Vermont in particular, Maine, uh, some of these more rural states, they did not want to be undercounted. They did not want to be ignored in the picking of the president. So they decided to use the Electoral College as a way to even out the clout between the big slaveholding states like Virginia 
and the smaller states. Remember, Virginia was a significant player. It was a slave state, and it had a lot of clout. Most of our uh, first few presidents were from Virginia because it was so significant, but it was the northern states wanting to minimize it. Well, Stacey Abrams said it's racist, and now they want the popular vote. When we come back, well, let's discuss why the popular vote would be a bad idea. we got an expert we're going to talk to on this very issue. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia. If you'd like to be a part of the program, 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. Joining me on the phone all the way from out in Oklahoma is Trent England. With the, He is the Executive Vice President for the Oklahoma Council of Public Affairs and the Director of Save Our States. Trent, welcome to the program. Well, let's see. Well, it would help Trent if I actually pushed the button no. to activate the phone call. <laughs> Sorry. I thought I did. You got to double click these days. <laughs> Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really glad to be here, Eric. Well, okay. I played the clip in the last uh, segment of Stacey Abrams saying that the Electoral College is racist and, and misrepresenting uh, the compromise that, that gave the Electoral College. But there really is a big push now out there, uh, particularly on the left, although there have been some Republicans in the past who've supported it, to shift from the Electoral College to the national popular vote. No, that's that's right. A, a lot of conservatives don't realize that there's this strategy to hijack the Electoral College without changing the Constitution. And, you know, good sort of good constitutionalists who appreciate the Electoral College, uh, you know, have have the, the right instinct. Right. Which is if you want to undo that, you'd have to amend the Constitution. Uh, but, yeah, the, the challenge today is these folks on the left are they're, they're very savvy and they have come up with a way to use the flexibility that the founders created as the kind of they see it as the Achilles heel of the Electoral College, where, you know, state legislatures actually decide how presidential electors are selected. And so, yeah, they've, they've come up with this national popular vote scheme that says, hey, what if we just get state legislatures to ignore their own voters and actually select their presidential electors and, and basically give away their presidential electoral votes to whoever wins the national popular vote. And I mean, this is an idea so dumb, James Madison just never thought about it, right? That a state <laughs> right. would give away its voice, but uh, but they're close to doing this. They have 196 electoral votes in the states that have signed on to this national popular vote interstate compact. And, uh, and yeah, you have voices out there like Stacey Abrams who are sort of pushing this along and trying to get them to that magic 270 electoral votes, in which case they would they would hijack the Electoral College and, you know, basically turn the whole system on its head. You know, I had uh, a couple of years ago a Republican member of the legislature in Georgia who got wined and dined uh, by some of the lobbyists for this who were Republicans at the time uh, and who thought this was a, a swell idea that we could do the national popular vote in Georgia uh, through an interstate compact. And it, the, the selling point at the time was that, you know, Georgia's a Republican state. They don't give us any attention. They don't campaign in our state. They don't send any ad dollars to our state. Uh, it would be good for our economy if, if we went along with this. And this was the pitch they made to me. I told them they were idiots. Um, but uh, it's amazing that after the Trump victory, um, a lot of these people are like, oh, no, this was a bad idea. They, they don't. Some of them even deny they were involved, which I find very funny. Uh, but uh, if you could, because this legislator was trying to explain to me how this would work with an interstate compact. And I su suspect that about two thirds of the listeners don't even know what an interstate compact is. 
Yeah. No, an, an interstate compact is is a piece of state legislation. So it's just a normal, you know, it's you got the whole how a bill becomes a law thing, right, in your state. But a compact is something that's passed by a collection of states, and, and they pass, you know, they basically, it's like a contract. I mean, it's, you know, you, you pass the contract around and you sign on to the contract. And in this case, it's states signing on to a contract by passing legislation. And, and so all of these states are committing to give away their electoral votes to whoever gets the most national popular votes. So of course, in 2016, that would have been Hillary Clinton. And, uh, and when they get enough states in that, that compact or that contract uh, where they control a majority in the Electoral College, then it kicks in. It doesn't actually have any effect until they get to that point. Then it kicks in and they control the whole process. And uh, yeah, you, you know, you mentioned Republicans falling for this. You know, the, the national popular vote folks are really smart. The, the guy who came up with this actually invented the scratch-off lottery ticket. So the guy wins on every ticket. He's got lots of money. And uh, and Jonathan Soros, George Soros's son, is another guy who's involved with this. Who's put up mil- some you know a couple million dollars in this effort. So they have lots of money. But also, I mean, these are some of the smart people on the political left. They know they win the Democrats anyway, right? They don't even really have to lobby Democrats. They have hired Republican lobbyists to lobby Republicans because they know, you know, they're going to get all the Democrats pretty much. And if they can just win over, you know, 15, 20 percent of Republicans, they can they can get this thing done. So they're they're very savvy to do that. And uh, and even after 2016, you know, last year, a majority of state Senate Republicans in Michigan co-sponsored a national popular vote bill. And it turned out that about two dozen of them had been taken to Hawaii by national popular vote. So once that came out, they all sort of you know, ran for the hills. Right. <laughs> but but it's, it's, it's scary what's going on out there. It, it, it's a very familiar story here. Yeah, you, you go out on, and get wined and dined, and suddenly you become a believer in something you didn't even know about uh, beforehand. Now, doesn't Congress have to get involved with an interstate compact? Well, the Constitution says so. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court has never, when they have heard cases on the compact clause, they have never enforced it, which is a, a travesty. Uh, you know, if if this compact ever hits 270 electoral votes, definitely there would be a lawsuit. And I've actually talked with some members of Congress about that to force them to go through the process of getting congressional consent. But there, there is a lot of concern that the Supreme Court has been so bad on that over the, uh, you know, over the decades, really over the centuries. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So what should what should voters on the ground who care about this issue, what, what should they be paying attention to? Or those who want to find out more information, what should they be paying attention to? Yeah, I mean, we, we run a website, SaveOurStates.com, and a Facebook page. People can just search on Facebook for Save Our States. We send out a lot of alerts that way, but we really rely on people to, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners are in touch with their state legislators. They pay attention to the process, and we rely on people feeding us information and uh, state legislators feeding us information so that we can uh, send our people out. We have a a lot of experts on the Electoral College who we send into states. We've actually had somebody down in in Georgia meeting with uh, legislators recently just trying to make sure that that uh, you know, people people know the truth about all this, but uh, but no, folks should talk to their state legislators and, and let them know that you know this NPV compact is an attempt 
to abolish the Electoral College, right, to leave it in name only or turn it into a zombie, right? It's, uh, this is not, you know, minor tweaks. Sometimes people present it that way. And, uh, you know, be, be in touch with their state legislators and let them know, you know, this is, this is a bad idea and we're, we're watching you. And, you know, we don't, we don't want you taking vacations that are paid for by the Soros family so you can come back and try to manipulate the Constitution. So I got to imagine with Virginia being taken over by the Democrats that just like with the Equal Rights Amendment that they're going to make a play there for this or have they already passed it? Uh, they have not passed it. They do have uh, they did have a bill last year and we're, we're very concerned about that. We've been doing a lot of work in Virginia. Um, you know, the, the, the good news is that we had a Democrat governor this year veto national popular vote in Nevada. We had seven Democrats flip over to our side in Maine, uh, in the Maine House and vote this down. And uh, it, there's a bill in New Hampshire uh, that was introduced last year and is is still technically alive in New Hampshire. But we have had unanimous uh, Republican and Democrats uh, all in New Hampshire uh, so far at the committee level saying they don't like this. So there there are there are some Democrats who get why this is bad for the country, even if they think maybe it would have been good for their party in a couple of recent elections. Like they, they understand mm-hmm. uh, that, that this is a really dangerous road to go down, shifting power to the big cities and creating the potential for, you know, small plurality winners and splinter parties and spoiler candidates and nationwide recounts. Uh, we we found that we can we can win over some of the more practical minded Democrats, right? Not the AOC Democrats, but, right? But there are still some others out there. <laughs> well, and, and you know, as I was telling this member of the state legislature who came back from his wine and dine tour to to suddenly embrace this, that so what you're saying is that you think that Al Gore should have been in charge of not after nine eleven, and he's like, uh, now I get to say, and you think Hillary Clinton should have been president too? Yeah, no, I, I mean it's it is it is shocking that that people can look at, you know, especially the, the county level maps in those two elections, right? I mean, pretty much every Republican, and I think a lot of other people after the 2000 election and after the 2016 election looked at, you know, and a lot of us posted on Facebook, the county level maps showing this red country with some blue islands, which really shows how regional the Democratic Party is. It's not, you know, it's not a region like like the South used to be a region or the Northeast, but it, but it is, a, it is a region of intense popularity in a handful of giant cities around the country. And it's just shocking that people look at that and say, well, I wish the big cities had more power. Right? Yeah. I mean, James Madison said when they debated this, July 24th, 1787, at the Constitutional Convention, Madison says, look, I like the idea of a popular vote, but the problem is you wind up handing over power to the biggest population centers, and, and those things don't change very much, right? They would, they would wind up in control for forever, basically, mm-hmm. and uh, that's not the system the founders wanted. And I, I don't know – you know, even people who live in the big cities, um, I, I've had lots of people say, well, you know, look, cities already have a lot of power in our political system. Uh, the idea that they should have a lock on, on who becomes president just you know, seems, like a, it seems like an obviously bad idea. Right. Well, listen, I appreciate you stopping by. What's the website again people can go to? Uh, SaveOurStates.com is the website. Great. Thank you very much for reaching out on this. And and if I can ever be of help, please let me know. This is I'm so opposed to a national popular vote, and I'm glad you guys are out there. Yeah, we will let you know what uh, what comes of it in in Georgia and 
and uh, you guys do the same. Thanks so much. Thanks Eric. very much. Trent England, he's the uh, executive vice president of the Oklahoma um, Public Policy uh, Foundation, but also Oklahoma Council for Public Policy, but also uh, head Save Our States. And again, you probably don't realize this is an issue, and, and it was an issue in Georgia. I'm not going to give you the names of the list because he's actually a really good friend of mine. And oh, did I let him have it? And I know the guy. I'm friends with the lobbyist who's a huge Trump guy now and denies that he was involved. And I was like, you, <laughs> you were the one trying to get me to the meeting. And persuade. I've got the emails. And it was all how, and, and the pitch in Georgia in particular was um, that we need the national popular vote because Georgia is growing, but it's a Republican state and these people are ignoring us. And if you do the national popular vote, Georgia and the Republicans have an advantage because of the size and we want people to come and we want them to spend their money. I'm like, no, you idiot. No. The founders were geniuses compared to us. You know, the problem with progressives is they believe that everyone who came before them wasn't as smart as them. And the reality is that everyone who came after the founders is increasingly more stupid. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I, I put all of us, myself included, in, in that category. The founders had a genius because they had come through a war where they their lives were literally on the line. They believed this stuff as a matter of life and honor, and they understood that putting power in the hands of the cities would be a bad thing, and that's essentially what would happen. It would make it so much easier to steal the election. If we had a national popular vote, we have just come through an election cycle where the Democrats really believe the Russians stole the election. You know, with the Electoral College, because you never know which state matters, it's really hard to deploy fraud resources to steal particular states. Now, you may have an idea of what the swing states are, but you know what you have with the national popular vote? You know, you got Houston, Los Angeles, Miami, New York, Chicago, and Atlanta, and Dallas, and you can go flood the zone and pour resources into those areas and steal the vote. And then you got to deal, as Trent was saying, you got the, the national, you got to have national recounts. Uh, all of these things have to become standardized when the states are supposed to control elections. So one of the big issues for the Democrats right now is they want federal control of all the elections, which uh, violates the federalism under the Constitution. Uh, the states are supposed to control the electoral process. And they don't like that. Uh, the more standardization you get in the national popular vote that you get, it becomes very, very easy to actually rig the election and steal the vote. Um, God, can you imagine we go back to paper ballots, ballots and a national election? People are just going to start stuffing ballots in L.A. and New York. And the Democratic partisans in those areas are going to turn a blind eye to it. Do you really want that? I would not want that. Uh, not a not a good idea. All right, uh, we gotta we gotta leave this topic. When we come back, a woman in Cobb County, Georgia, spent eleven hours on the phone with a scammer and gave him thirty five thousand dollars. I'll explain. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. The news, uh, okay, this is from the AJC. A Cobb County woman is out $35,000 after an 11 and a half hour call with scammers. And you're wondering how. There was a story a while back about a UGA student who was scammed out of $30,000 in a 10 hour phone call. A lot of people didn't believe this story actually happened. Well, here's a woman who's come forward in Cobb County. She's 50 years old, says, 
she fell for the exact, nearly the exact same scam call. Here, here's what happened. Karen Faulkner ended up purchasing $35,500 worth of gift cards to send the scammers money she'll probably never get back. She says she now feels sorry for the UGA student. Uh, understand what he's going through. Both scams started with a robocall, claimed their social security number had been compromised. Now, listen, the reason I want to actually spend several minutes on the story is because we're at this time of year where it is easy to get scammed. Um, your parents, particularly if they're elderly, may fall for this. So understand how this happens. I'm going to read to you parts of this AJC story just so you understand the pattern of how these things work. It started with a robocall claiming that a social security number had been compromised, leading to the identity being stolen and used for crimes. What followed was a complex web of lies utilizing public information to dissuade doubt, threats of frozen bank accounts, and several scare tactics. Faulkner described the experience of being brainwashed, fearing her livelihood was hanging by a thread and she had to comply. Her case is now in the hands of the FBI, who receives about 800 to 1,200 internet crime complaints every day, 20 to 25 of which happen from Georgia. Don't ever say that'll never happen to me. Don't say it because it can happen. Just before 10 a.m. on November 5th, Ms. Faulkner received a phone call from Medford, Oregon. When she picked up the phone, an automated voice said her identity had been stolen and she needed to press 1 to speak to a U.S. Social Security Administration representative. When she did that, a man claiming to be a U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency agent began speaking to her. After giving her a false badge number, he set up the scheme. Her identity had supposedly been stolen and had been used by someone to purchase two houses and two and a Toyota Corolla and two houses and two Toyota Corollas in El Paso, Texas, along with seven bank accounts in her name. Both of the vehicles had been seized for containing drugs, and she had active drug trafficking and money laundering warrants out for her arrest. At this point, she said she was still skeptical, but the man began to ask her questions using information from public records, beginning with her current home address, her business name, and even her prior surnames. I go by my middle name, but he knew my first name and my prior last name from my first marriage, which is part of what made all of this so darn believable. Faulkner was then transferred to someone who identified himself as Emerson Bowie Jr., who in real life is the FBI special agent in charge of the Chicago field office. When she questioned how she could trust him, the scammer had her look up the agent's name online, leading her to several photos of him in news articles surrounded by identifiable people like James Comey. During the whole process, he's throwing out all the right words, investigation, privacy laws, criminal charges, felony warrant for my arrest. Now their hooks are in, the scammers were ready to get paid. The two most common forms of telephone scams are imposters and debt collection schemes, the FBI said, with identity theft being third. In the two most common types, victims are asked to fork over bank account information or pay directly. Faulkner said those types of scams are the ones she knew she could identify, but she wasn't expecting to be told by a faux FBI agent to purchase gift cards to exchange the numbers and pins for so-called government vouchers. If she didn't, she was told her bank accounts would be frozen. My biggest concern was my business, which I opened two and a half months ago. I was worried the money was going to be frozen. It scared me. She was sent around Marietta to make 16 transactions for gift cards, which were worth $500 to, uh, $100 to $500 apiece. They were at Sephora, Nordstrom, and GameStop. 
The FBI said gift cards can easily be resold on secondary websites since they're essentially functional as cash equivalents and don't necessarily raise suspicions with victims. When checking out at stores like Target, Staples, and Whole Foods, she said she had to make up reasons for the unusual purchases to get manager approval. I deserve an Emmy for doing everything I did. They'd say that's a lot of gift cards, and I'd tell them it was Christmas gifts for my employees or bonuses, and they believed it. After nearly eight hours of driving around town and reading gift card numbers over the phone to her scammers, she arrived home to find four patrol cards in her driveway. Her husband had called the cops because he hadn't been able to contact her all day. The scammer had told her she was being watched closely by authorities and could not tell anyone what she was doing. She wouldn't even tell the police. The Cobb County Sheriff's Office incident report notes she wouldn't tell authorities at first until she realized she'd been scammed. Once she realized what happened, she called her bank the next morning. The bank employee said, I'm sorry, since you did the transactions, you're liable. There's no recourse. You can't get your money back. A panicked visit to the sheriff's office helped put her case on record, but she's told there wasn't much local authorities could do about international scams. The sheriff's spokesman, Glenn Daniel, confirmed that her case is an active investigation and said the investigators don't disclose active investigations. She was directed to the FBI's Internet Crime Center. For out-of-country scams, the FBI and a recovery asset team and 63 legal attache offices and U.S. embassies work with federal law enforcement. At the moment, Faulkner says she doesn't have much hope in recovering the money. The FBI said the best course of action uh, when receiving a potentially fraudulent call from someone is to tell them you'll call them back. Y'all, I, I spend time on this because this happens a lot and it's happening to the elderly a lot. This woman's not that old and she fell for it and she's a businesswoman. When you get a call like this, tell them to call your lawyer. Don't actually talk to these people if you get a call like this ever. It is that time for me to tell y'all how awesome the Quip electric toothbrush is. Don't, don't fast forward through this. Stick around. Listen, uh, because it's the truth. I use my Quip every day. My daughter uses hers. My wife uses hers. We got to get our 10-year-old on a regular brushing schedule. I'm, he's That's another story for another day. Quip is a great toothbrush, folks. Uh, you can go out, as I have, and buy the $100 Sonic toothbrushes uh, that supposedly do some sort of brilliant job. They don't fit in the back of my mouth. I don't think they fit in the back of anybody's mouth. They're so poorly designed. And you got to take the charger with you wherever you go. It's, it, they're terrible in design. The Quip was designed, you can tell, by Denison designers working together. It fits in the back of your mouth, so you can get a good brushing at the back of your teeth. Uh, it, it vibrates uh, great for two minutes, get your teeth really clean. Every 30 seconds, it pulses, You can so you know it's time to move it in your mouth to a different location, so you get an even cleaning. It is great, and every three months, they send you a new brush head uh, on a subscription service. It is great. Um, everything is designed. Great with Quip. It works on a single AAA battery. You don't have to carry a charger with you. I just, I, I really do love this product. I've been using my Quip for two years. Well before I ever advertised for them on radio, I was using Quip because I like them. Uh, it generates great, healthy toothbrushing habits. My dentist keeps thinking I'm bleaching my teeth. I'm not. Just on and on, I could brag about it, but see it for yourself. Go to getquip.com slash Erickson right now. You'll get your first refill pack free. That's your first brush head refill pack for free at getquip.com slash Erickson. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P.com slash E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Getquip.com slash Erickson. Start brushing your teeth with healthy habits with Quip. Yes, you can call in 877-973-7425. All right, get this. 
got an email um, offering to uh, have on Dr. Laura, which is actually kind of awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, she's got a new book coming out. My wife loves Dr. Laura, so so maybe I'll have Dr. Laura on the show at some point soon. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> Let, let's make sure it's really her. This was it, it was it was kind of weird. The the PR company per it was it was just kind of odd. Um, we will we're we're but we'll we'll see if we can make this happen. Uh, we need to move on to other topics now. Uh, J D Greer is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, and oh, is he ruffling feathers today? Uh, J D Greer. Let me let me pull up the actual story from Discern. Um, uh, here's the headline from Discern, Adam Ford, uh, Southern Baptist president says he prefers to call transgender people by their chosen pronouns. Uh, he calls it pronoun hospitality. He did an ask me anything episode of his podcast and says there's a spectrum of generosity of spirit versus telling truth. Uh, I tend towards generosity of spirit. He says, um, I'm seeing a lot of angry people talking about this today. And I first saw it and just my, I tweeted it out and just said, Oh dear. Um, I haven't heard the podcast, but you know, so let's say you encounter a transgender person. Let, let's say you encounter Bruce Jenner, who now goes by the name Caitlin Jenner. I guess it's Caitlin Jenner. Um, does it get you anything out of the gate when you're trying to build a relationship with this person by by saying, uh, dude, your name is Bruce, you're crazy, uh, and you're a dude? Uh, when you're trying to actually have a meaningful relationship with this person? Probably not. Probably if you're if you're trying to get to know this person, um, we should be relational. And so I understand what J.D. Greer is getting at. But I also think that you can't get very far down the road without affirming your beliefs on this particular issue uh, because it is madness. Uh, we, we do need to, to realize there's something in our cultural water right now that uh, has allowed this to flourish, and it is it, it defies all region, re, reason, logic, and science uh, to to go down this road with uh, this, this stuff. Um, but... You can't even go down the road if you're not willing to engage a person where they are in life. And if you want to engage a person where they are in life and the boy thinks that he's a girl, well, you really probably need to start from their premise and then work across to where you are. Um, as, as he calls it, a generosity of spirit. It, it's not lying. Um, it's just warming the person up for the truth, I would think. It is me, Eric Erickson. The phone number, 877-973-7425. On Monday, I'm not going to do any more this week. Y'all have gotten enough from me in your email box. But so every Thanksgiving, I do, I take my my turkey and I turn in gumbo. I'm a native of Louisiana. Before my mother would allow me to leave the state to go to college, she had to teach me how to make gumbo and jambalaya and the like. Uh, and so every Thanksgiving, uh, I turn the turkey into gumbo after we've had our turkey uh, for Thanksgiving. All the leftovers uh, go into the gumbo pot and make a gumbo. And on Monday, I, I've done a video even. I have done a video. I will show you how to make gumbo. And I will give you my gumbo recipe. Um, so text recipe to 33777. 
And it's not hard. The hardest thing about gumbo is is making the roux. All you got to understand is get your vegetables chopped up first and then spend 30 to 40 minutes with the roux over medium heat and you'll be good. I'll make it easy for you. I'll give you the step-by-step in the video. I, I, I did a gumbo in real time. I mean, I literally stood at the stove with a video recorder recording the entire 30, 40 minute process of making the roux. Uh, in real time, so you can see it. Um, it's not hard, but text recipe to three three seven seven seven. I'll give it to you on Monday, so something you can do with your leftovers for Thanksgiving. Go on and buy yourself some Trinity uh, green pepper, onion, and uh, bell pepper, onion, and celery. Get you some garlic. Get you some okra. You'll be good to go for Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're going shopping this weekend, go for it now. I want to spend a little bit of time on uh, woke culture and Facebook and targeting ads. There are let, let's let me let me just let, let's say you 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 want to put an ad on my show. Uh, I you know I would love you. We have no ads. We're, we we picked up our first advertiser. Uh, we will have that first advertiser starting in December. Uh, for this network program, uh, we have we can put in ads ourselves in this spot. If you want to advertise across the state of Georgia, because we are all over the state of Georgia, you want to boost your exposure, you just let us know. Uh, call the show, 877-973-7425, and say you want to throw money at us. We are happy to have your money. But if you do, what you're targeting is you're targeting uh, people in their 30s, 40s, and 50s, mostly men who mostly like sports, but they pay attention to this show because they need to keep up to date on politics and the news, and they want it from a Georgia perspective, and, and that's going to be your audience. If you if you want to advertise on ABC, CBS, or NBC, or Fox, you are essentially taking a shotgun approach to advertising. You are spreading it out across it as a highly inefficient use of, of money. If you want to target black voters, you you target uh, BET and, and other stations that cater towards a black audience. You target millennials. Well, there are stations for millennials. It's hard to target more and more people with TV and whatnot because people are unplugging and they're getting uh, Disney Plus, Netflix, Apple TV Plus, Amazon Prime, Hulu, and the like. Hard to target those people because those aren't ad services. What you can do, though, is, well, let's see, you, you want to target conservatives, you go on Fox, you want to target liberals, you go on MSNBC. You want to target uh, informed people with money to spend, you come to this program, you come to this, whichever station you're listening to right now, uh, regardless of where you are in the state of Georgia, Dalton, Jasper, Rome, Clarksville, Athens, Vidalia, Valdosta, Adele, Quitman, uh, Bainbridge, Vidalia, uh, Albany, uh, Douglas, Statesboro, Macon, where, wherever you are. If you want to target people with income uh, who can buy your stuff, who are proficient, savvy, and self-thinkers, you run money on talk radio. And and that's not to toot the horn of, of the people who are listening right now on the station they're listening to. That's just demographically. People who listen to talk radio tend to be self-starter, self-funders, uh, and, and self-initiative people. That's why you hear health ads on talk radio. It's not because they want to, they're the ones who want to buy. It's because they're the ones who people want to take charge of their own life. And so you, you hear golden investment and stuff like that because talk radio audiences are natural for that because they want to go do this stuff themselves. They want to buy their own gold. They don't want to go through a Morgan Stanley or, or Charles Schwab or whatever. But you can even more finely micro-target than that. 
You can send people mail. You can go out and you can buy consumer psychographic profiles. What's the difference between a demographic profile and a psychographic profile? Well, a demographic profile will tell you someone's white or black or, or Asian or Hispanic. Uh, they go to church or they don't go to church. They live in a particular neighborhood surrounded by people who are similarly situated with certain incomes, and you can target them demographically, or you can target psychographically. Psychographically is a demographic profile that layers on top people's interests, values, and concerns. So, for example... If you're listening to conservative talk radio, those people, they have a psychographic profile. They tend to be a little more heavily skewed towards men in their early 40s who tend to be interested in sports as well as politics, uh, but want to stay engaged and involved. They tend to be right of center. They tend to be pro-life. They tend to support guns, all that. But you can go even further than that. Find the people who subscribe to Field and Stream magazine who shop at Sam's Club or a Walmart, and who drive F-150 Ford pickup trucks and are members of the NRA. There, my friends, is a Trump voter. And they care about the Second Amendment and guns. And you can send mail to their house because you can find it. And you can custom target mail that they're concerned about. You can even show up on their doorstep and knock on their door. And you know what? No one's ever going to know. That's the thing about mail. No one's ever going to know. Uh, I can I can find out of a pool uh, in Georgia, what is, you know what? This is something I guess I should know off the top of my head. What is the population of the state of Georgia? Population, state of Georgia, 10.52 million people. According to uh, the United States Census, there are 10,520,000 people who live in the state of Georgia. And if I think that there are 50,000 people who can shift the election from Brian Kemp to Stacey Abrams or Stacey Abrams to Brian Kemp, I can find those 50,000 people and I can send someone to their doorstep to talk about the issue I know in advance they care about and send the mail to their home on the issue I know that they care about. Hell, you know a dirty little secret? I can find the 92 people who are going to shape the election. And I can send door knockers repeatedly to their home and mail repeatedly to their house and phone calls repeatedly to their phone and you will never know about it. It's called micro-targeting. And you can divide people up based in the tens or hundreds. And you can customize mail and message to them and fly completely under the radar. So along come Google and Facebook and Twitter. And they allow you to do the exact same thing. Except you can't do it under the radar. If I want to target the 100 people I think are going to shift the election or the balance of power in Georgia on Facebook, I've got to disclose who I am, and everybody else gets to have access to be able to see what I'm doing. But I can still target those 92 to 100 people pretty accurately. 
I can find out their interests. Do they watch Fox News? Do they listen to talk radio? Do they hunt? Uh, do they fish? Do they eat hamburgers? Are they vegetarian or not? Do they hate vegetarians and vegans? Do they like fast food? On and on it goes. I, I can narrow it down. Do they live in, in Pickens County, Georgia? In fact, do they live within 10 miles of the Jasper, Georgia courthouse. Do they live within 10 miles of there? Do they go to McDonald's? Do they own an F-150 pickup truck? Do they eat hamburgers and do they like to grill? I can target the 100 people within 10 miles of Jasper, Georgia, who have F-150 pickup trucks, eat regularly at McDonald's. They like to hunt. They like to fish. They like to grill. They do not like environmentalists and vegans, and they own a Mossberg gun. I can find that precise pool of people and I can go to them and say, you know, Stacey Abrams gets elected. She's going to ban grilling because of global warming. She's going to ban hunting. She's going to take your gun away. You, you, you like that gun you own? Fancy gun, I hear. She's going to take it away from you. I know you own it. And if I know you own it, she knows you own it. And she's going to come for it. And I can scare those people. Oh, you like that F-150 pickup truck. You know it doesn't meet efficiency standards that Stacey Abrams wants. You're going to have to get all sorts of work done. You're going to have to get a new stickers on the car to, to certify emission standards. It's going to drive up your cost of owning it. She wants you in one of those new ugly Tesla electric trucks they just rolled out yesterday. I can do that. And everybody sees it on Facebook and Twitter, and Google. But the left is now upset with this. And the left is upset with it, not because it's wrong, not because it's bad, but because Donald Trump did it more effectively than they did it in 2016. See, Barack Obama did this in 2008, and he did it in 2012, and it worked. He won. He micro-targeted effectively on social media platforms. And it worked, and he won, and they were okay with it. But Donald Trump did it in 2016 better than Hillary Clinton, and he won. He drove up the vote in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Iowa, places she didn't even campaign, and he won. So now they want these companies to stop allowing people to micro-target. And Google and, and Twitter realized that, well, this will help the Democrats if we stop. So they've decided to stop. And in stopping... Uh, they are. It is an effort to stop Donald Trump. Google and Twitter caving to the left wing mob is an effort to stop them or stop Donald Trump from effectively targeting people online by micro targeting. He can still do it in their mailbox and he can still do it at the door and you will never know, but he can't do it online anymore. It's more expensive to do it on phone and in mailboxes and door-to-door. -door. They want to drive up his cost. Facebook has thus far said, you know what? We're not going to change our rules. We're going to let you micro-target. I suspect they're going to cave to some degree, although maybe not to the extent of these others. They'll cave some. They're in under extraordinary pressure. Uh, my, Mark Zuckerberg had an off-the-record dinner with Donald Trump, and it leaked and the left now wants to send him to jail. I kid you not, there are progressive activists who want him rounded up and sent to jail because he had the audacity to meet privately with the President of the United States. Y'all, 
Talk about authoritarianism, totalitarianism. You know, the difference is, again, as I said, I could do this uh, to your doorstep. I could do this to your mailbox. I could do this to your phone, and the left would never know. But on Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg lets me do the exact same thing, but I got to show everybody what I'm doing. You got to be able to figure out it's me. You can trace the money back. And the left wants to cut off their nose to spite their face. They want you to be prohibited from doing this on Facebook even though they would be able to see it and combat it. And you know why these companies are are willing to go along with it? It's actually in their financial interest. You know, when Facebook lets me use their robust platform and I only target 100 people, well, Facebook doesn't get a lot of money for me running an ad to just 100 people. Facebook gets more money if I run an ad for 10,000 people and I can't narrow it beyond that. Google and Twitter do as well. If I'm narrowly tailoring an ad on uh, Google or on Twitter and they won't let me scale it down to 100 people, but I got to advertise to 10,000 people, well, guess what? My ad price is going to go up and that helps their bottom line. It doesn't help me. It helps them. If anything, it's in their self-interest to do this. And it's amazing that Facebook has drawn a line in the sand on this thus far and said, we're going to let people do maximum micro-targeting because that actually costs Facebook money. And the left is attacking Facebook. See, the problem is the left thinks that Facebook should be on their side. And because they're not, they're the bad guy. They think they should own tech. They think they should own Facebook. Remember, they were all happy, fine, and hunky-dory with Facebook when Barack Obama was winning on the platform. But now that Trump is winning, Facebook bad. Think how much further Mark Zuckerberg could get. And full disclosure, I, 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 I know and like the guy. Um, think how much further he could get in life if he went woke, like Jack from Twitter. You don't even need to look at Jack from Twitter. Look at the the uh, out, ousted CEO of WeWork. WeWork has always been, anyone who could pay attention to this knew that there was a problem with WeWork. If you don't know what WeWork is, we don't have a lot of it in Georgia. I think they got one or two buildings in Atlanta. Uh, but WeWork, sub, they lease out whole floors in, in tall buildings. And they come in and make them hip and cool for shared workspaces. Uh, you got beer on tap and coffee and, and you can hang out and you got communal spaces and makes it all fun for the skinny jean bearded uh, hipsters to come into work together. And it's just one big office party every day and you can just rent a cubbyhole. And so what was WeWork's business model is they would rent at a discount from big corporations and then they would up rent into subdivide the office space and rent it out to individuals or small businesses and they would make a profit that way. And they did this all across the country and it was great and grand and glorious and all of that. And it never made sense from a business model. But by God, uh, the CEO was a vegan and he banned reimbursement of meals for meat because of global warming and he smoked weed in the office and he was hip and cool and and uh, super leftist and had all these liberal things just like Jack from, from Twitter who does all this weird stuff to ingratiate himself with the left and by God, uh, the, they ate it up. Never mind the profit, never mind the business model, they ate it up. They gave him a pass on everything until WeWork is now, they got greedy and decided to do an IPO and he was exposed for the huckster that he was. Meanwhile, you got Zuckerberg who's actually turning real profits for a real company that's doing real work around the globe and they hate him for it. They hate him because he's putting his business ahead of woke theology.
and he's allowing people to use his platform to custom tailor advertising to the smallest population possible. And they hate him for that too, because Donald Trump beat them at it. It is amazing to see an entire company vilified because Donald Trump got good at using their platform. You know, Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, woke CEO, Tim Cook, He's being vilified by the left today for allowing Donald Trump a photo op at an Apple Mac facility in Austin. He's being vilified by people who love the guy. They're livid with him for giving Donald Trump a photo op in Austin, Texas at an Apple facility. That says way more about these people than it does Donald Trump or Mark Zuckerberg. And credit to them for Zuckerberg in particular, given where he lives and what he does and who he works with, that he's been able to stand up to all of this nonsense for so long. Yes, because you can get the gumbo recipe on Monday uh, if you want it. So the president basically spent an hour on Fox and Friends this morning, the the look on the faces of Brian and um, Steve, who, by the way, um, I, I don't know Ansley or Hurt well. I, I know Steve and, and Brian quite well, and they are wonderful people. Um, I've, I've had a lot of fun times with them on, on TV. Uh, but yeah, just listen... <laughs> Nancy, this bit on Nancy Pelosi. I, I wish that this was a TV show so you could see the looks on their faces, too. And crazy Nancy Pelosi, who, by the way, is going to go down as the worst speaker in the history of the House of Representatives. She hasn't done anything. All she said, she's like paralyzed. She cannot do anything. Well, Mr. You President. Know, she, I predict she won't do USMCA because Richard Trumpka, who's a good guy, but a big union guy, only cares about a union. Richard Trumpka has her mortified. She won't do USMCA, and everybody in the country wants it, the farmers, the manufacturers. But Richard Trumpka has her like he plays her like a fiddle. And I predict she won't even do it. She And, and by the way, she's got such pressure on her to do it. All she has to do is put it to a vote. She's holding it for six months. It's growing dust on right. her desk. And Mexico and Canada are calling, saying... <laughs> What's going on? Yeah. Where's our agreement? They signed it. They're yeah. all dead. <laughs> also, he went after Ducey on the whistleblower stuff. I think that will be Explosive. the greatest political scandal in the history of our country. And if we could just uh, now let's uh, switch and let's talk a little bit about 2020. Oh, I'd like, uh, let me just interrupt for a second. Mr. Uh, President, you said we know the name of the whistleblower. We've seen names on the Internet. We have no idea who the whistleblower is. Right. No, right. I don't believe. Steve, can I, I tell you? I, I know you. I don't know. I've seen names, but I don't know who it is. But it's, but it's a. All right. Uh, I don't think Steve has ever told a lie, Ainsley and Brian, in right. his life. But that one, I'm sort of thinking, oh, right. come on. So you expected you know, you're a, pe- a great you- person. I'm always telling people, I watch your show in the morning. I don't watch the garbage, the other garbage. No, we, would love we, to we've seen on. names online, but, on. Mr. President, we, we don't have any it, verification. It, yeah, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anyway. We're not going to use it. We're not going to use it. Yeah. You, you, have, you know exactly who it is. Right. Okay, <laughs> but I like that you say that. Right. So, so Mr. President, uh, you expected a piece. Impeachment vote. You expect to get impeached, and would you say you said you embrace no, the I idea? No, I don't of, expect it. You Actually, don't expect. I just, uh, that's just. Oh man, you know. Seriously, let, let's let's just let's just acknowledge that the last three years have been amazing for TV with the president of the United States disengaged, particularly with one TV show. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh, wait, 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 wait. 
One more clip, one more clip, one more clip. Uh, we can't play it all because we're almost out of time. But uh, there's also the George Conway bit. Well, the only reason he's not going in is because I'm saying it's going to affect our trade deal. You don't want to Mr. do President, that. I speak to him. So you're running in 2020, uh, and many people are, we all just assumed your vice presidential um, nominee would be Mike Pence. But then we're reading headlines about Kelly and Conway's husband saying that Nikki Haley's fighting for that position. I'm a South Carolinian, originally from South Carolina. Nikki Haley was our governor, and I know she uh, really did a good job as an ambassador. So who's going to be your running mate in 2020? No, she's great. Well, look, first of all, Kellyanne is great, but she's married to a total whack job. I think the, I, she must have done some number on him, Ainsley. I don't know what Kellyanne did to that guy, but she because I don't even know him. I mean, I, I met him for George seconds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, he, he reiterated Mike Pence will be his vice president, by the way. Y'all have a good weekend.